the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Could you imagine being a slave your whole life only to be set free, set apart, and then given an inheritance? How would you live? That's the question we answer next on Truth For Today. Reminded of the Walt Disney commercial from a few years ago. Remember Oral Hershiser just after he won the World Series? They came to him with a microphone. You've just won the World Series. What are you going to do now? He says, I'm going to Disneyland. You've just been turned from a slave to a son or daughter in Christ with full inheritance of eternity. What are you going to do now? Well, if you're the Apostle Paul writing chapter 8 of Romans, you're going to live life in the Spirit. What does that look like? That's what we'll talk about next with today's edition of Truth For Today from Valley Bible Church in Hercules. Here's Pastor Phil Howard. Life in the Spirit is to be a member of a divine family. Look at what he says in verse 15. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. Now, uh... Look at that. What is he? For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear. But you have become sons. Thus I title the message from slavery to sonship. Uh, You're no longer under a hostile master. You're not under guardians as Galatians talked about being under the law. You're not, you're not under those who didn't father you. You're not under people who have been hired. A na- you're not under a nanny. I didn't give you your life, but we got to pay to take care of you. But you moved into a divine family. And in this family, listen, it operates on affection and not on fear. This divine family, you remember, we already threw out condemnation. He didn't save you to keep you condemned. You know what? I just spanked my children. Not enough. No, no, I I did spank. I believed in that. I don't think I ever abused them. But I want to tell you this much. I didn't have children in order to get to spank somebody. I had children out of affection. I wanted someone to call me daddy. I wanted life around me as I get older and get ugly. I want someone around me to say, I love you, dad. And in this family, he says, fear will not operate in the children of God towards God. They're not afraid of the law. They're not afraid of the guardians. They're not, they have the fear of the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. That, that, that principle, that's respect for this God. 
But it's the idea that it's not a dysfunctional family where you don't feel welcome to be there. Oh, oh, dad's home. Go hide. You're going to get boxed. The dog's going to be kicked. He might give mother a whipping. I I had a friend of mine that he fled his house every weekend because his dad would get drunk and beat up his mother on the weekend. So he said, I fled. I fled to libraries in the Philadelphia area because I couldn't stand to see my mother beat up another weekend. Imagine growing up in that environment. God is saying to you as his sons, I don't slap and box and demean my children. I've given the spirit to lead you. And in this family, you will not be treated like a slave and you will not be dominated by the anxiety, fear. What will he do to me? Will he hit me? Will he hurt me? Is the home safe? No, no, you've got it made if you're in Christ. You've landed. You're in safe arms. You're in the family of God. You see, God paid a bigger price to get you in his family than your dad did with your mom. We don't know if you were conceived in love or lust. And a lot have been conceived in lust, but you were conceived at the cross. And the foundation of the world, God planned to slay his son to get you in the family. So you're no small purchase. You're big time purchase. This is not a 15 minute sex act. This is a divine price that the Father and the Son were willing to pay to make you a son. It cost them the Son to make you a son. Fear has torment, the Bible says, but perfect love casts it out, and salvation is perfect love. And notice what he does in the family. God wants to teach you divine family talk And he says, we cry, Abba, Father. You know what's interesting about this? The only one who ever is recorded to use this is Jesus. And I think one of the most pressing things is Jesus used it in his last hours before the cross. This is what he prayed in Mark 14 in Gethsemane. Abba, Father. I mean, the perspiration looks like drops of blood. He's praised three times for the cup to pass from him. If you ever read the biography of dying soldiers, you know what the most common word on the lips of a dying soldier is? Mama. Tell mama goodbye. They got a sweetheart, but it's the most common, mama. Now he says the spirit led sons of God, whether they're male or female, There's something on the lips of the family. It's called Father. Father. Abba. J. Vernon McGee tells the story that he had visited a certain hospital in L.A. hundreds of times to comfort people from the church he pastored, the Church of the Open Door. And he comforted them, and God's going to see you through. God's going to take care, claim the promises. Uh, everything's going to work together for good. And, and the pastoral duty, and, and give a few verses and go on. But he said, he finally wound up in one of those beds with lung cancer. And in his typical way, if you read his words, friend, I was scared. I wasn't waiting for somebody to come in and give me the same old verses. Or just to pat me, it's going to be okay. Stiff upper lip, get over it. 
And he tells about Wilbur Smith paid a visit to him and stayed with him. And how are you doing, Vernon? He said, I'm scared. I'm afraid I'm going to be buried in a few months with this lung cancer. But he said when Wilbur left, he asked the nurse to close the curtain around his bed. And he said, friend, I started crying out, Abba, Father, you got a scared son on your hands. I don't have time to be pastoral or profound. Abba, Abba, Father, this is your child. Could you come to me? This family taught. That's what God produces by the Spirit. You see, under the law, I couldn't even approach the mountain when the law was being given. If I touch the mount where the law is given, I'll be killed. Kill him. Rope off that mountain. God shows up. And then all of a sudden, God says, I'm going to show up another place in history, and it's going to be on another mountain. It's going to be on Mount Golgotha. And when you come there, you can come a sinner and leave a son, and you can touch God at the foot of the cross. And he will not bite you, and he will not slay you. He will turn you into a son if you come to Jesus. This is our gospel. This is the greatest thing in the world. Why does God even want us? Or over that, he says he wants us. He's gone on record. But here he says, life in the spirit is life in a privileged family. I mean, and then listen to what in this family, I'm about to forget some of these beautiful things here. He said, you, you, you receive the spirit of sonship. And, you know, I was studying out of a, another uh, Bible, I, I use a more literal translation, uh, and they didn't even put in the term adoption. Sonship ought to be adoption. We received the spirit of adoption. Now, let me tell you something about adoption. Why did he use that? Huiophasia, son placing. There's something interesting, probably being borrowed from the Roman adoption system. And let me give you four things required. Number one, when you adopted a child in the Roman system, all former family ties were cut. So you cut off all previous biological connections. Number one. Two, uh, you were placed permanently into the new family. It was not a probationary adoption. It was a permanent act. You sure you want this child to be yours. Yeah. Well, adoption in Roman law, permanent. This is a permanent act. Thirdly, all debts and uh, liabilities that this child may have had in relation to the former family had to be taken care of by the adoptive parent. So you had to pick up all their expenses. Fourthly, In order for it to be legitimate, there had to be seven witnesses in court that could testify that you did it. Seven witnesses. Now, there's something interesting about adoption. The child never gets to pick the parent. The parent picks the child, right? And God used this term adoption five times it's used. Ephesians 1, 5, Romans 9, Romans 8, 23, here. And one other time, look in a concordance. Four is pretty good. There's five, though. There's another use of it that in the Galatians passage, we were treated like minors, and many will refer to the Roman practice of toga viralis. 
that when a child came to an age of adulthood, kind of like the Jewish bar mitzvah, they would have the Roman ceremony of bringing out the toga, and Varalis was the uh, adulthood, and so that all the household servants would be notified, no longer is this son under your dictates. No longer do you have boss rights over this boy. He's now by his father being promoted to an adult son status, and so you can't boss him. He's now to be treated like my son, not just a minor. Either way you go, God is saying, in my family, I have established you in the status of privilege, in the status of an adult son. This house belongs to you. You are in a full-fledged, I adopted you. I, I paid all measures to make you my own. I think of this couple here adopting a child. That, and I, when I see that child, those beautiful blue eyes, I thought, little guy, you don't know what was working in the heart of a mom and dad to pay out literally thousands of dollars, first of all, just to get you. And now the rest of their income, the rest of their gains in life, Whatever they gain in life, the Roca family, this little boy, through no merit of his own, through nothing he could have ever done, gets to inherit everything that Bill and Kristen ever earn. He just doesn't know how fortunate he is. Now, God said, that's what I did with you. I'll tell you three adoptions in the Bible. Moses was adopted by Pharaoh's daughter. Remember that? Just think of this, a slave kid growing up in a throne room. Not bad. From a slave that I should have been killed or aborted, and now, hey, my mama even gets paid a wage to nurse me. I tell you, leave it to the Jewish folks to work that out. Huh? She gets a salary to nurse her own son. I mean, this is brilliant. And then you come along and you get uh, Esther adopted by her uncle, Mordecai, his form of adoption, took her as his own daughter and guided her. But I think one of the most moving adoptions in all of Scripture is the day David adopted Mephibosheth. And, uh, you know, when a king took a throne, you killed off all the heirs of the former king. But because of this deep love between David and Jonathan, David said, go out and see if there's anybody left of Jonathan's household. And he brought Mephibosheth in, and he was trembling. And he said, I'm related to Saul. I know the king wants to kill me. And he got into his presence and said, guess what, Mephibosheth? I'm going to take care of you the rest of your life. I'm going to let you sit at the king's table. And I know you cannot contribute anything to my kingdom because you're crippled in your feet. You're a liability in every way. But you know what? I loved your old daddy so much. I'm going to take care of you the rest of your life. And that's what God did with the son at the cross. When I came to God the Father, he said, what do you want? I said, I just met Jesus. I'm clinging to him. Would you have me? He said, anybody that wants my son, I adopt him forever. You can sit at my table. Matter of fact, my table lasts for eternity. You've been adopted. I don't know what your first family was like. I don't know what your biological parents were like. They could abuse you, hit you, 
cussed you. But you know what? The wonder of this new family, perhaps it could help you forget all the junk of a fallen world and start basking in a God who's wrapped his arms around you in Jesus and said, you're in a family where you won't be abused. You're in a family where you get to call me Abba, Father. What's the favorite name you dads like to be called? Old man? None of us boys did that because we valued our life. Grouch? Crank? No, no. Nothing quite sweet as Papa, Dad, whatever the family name for Dad is for, in your family. But I'm in a family where if you ever hear me in a prayer meeting and all you can get out of me is Abba, just know the Spirit's leading me. Because in Galatians 4, the Spirit cries that out. And once in a while, I have to watch without even knowing it. The Spirit's yelling something out of me. Abba! I've got to watch it. Because the Spirit's crying it, but here I cry. So we both join up. And guess what we do? I'm a son. I'm a son. I've got a father. Abba, 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 Father. I am in a privileged status. It's life in the Spirit to celebrate your status. You start singing in the Spirit when you know you've got a father. You can start getting happy in the Spirit when you know you've been forgiven. You get happy in the Spirit when there's no condemnation. You can start thinking you're acting like a son instead of a frozen Indian. Here, Lord, you are wonderful. You deserve my praise. Well, don't, don't get excited out there. We'll be accused of being excitable. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. How many witnesses did you need in a Roman court to prove an adoption? And those were human witnesses. God says, I've got one witness you need. The Holy Spirit is in you. And he witnesses to your spirit. And guess what the Spirit's always telling you? You're a son. You're a son. You're a son. Act like a son. Praise God like you're a son. Enjoy being a son. You're a son. No, no, no. I just sinned. And I I don't know that I'm saved. And somebody's telling me I must not be a Christian. and, And before the throne of God, Satan is now accusing me and and you got all this, Satan says to me, you think you're a child of God, and I'm beginning, maybe I'm not really saved. And then I say, well, I have doubts. I shouldn't have done it. I've done it 20 times, and I thought I knew God. And, and in the midst of my failure, sometimes I've heard this voice, you're a son, but you didn't act like one. You're a son. When are you going to act like the father? You're a son. Why don't you let me lead you the next time through that temptation? Why don't you just start acting like one? You're a son. You're a son. You're a son. You didn't earn your sonship. So you can't lose it with demerit because you never did merit it. But you're a son. You know, I've told the story in my own hands. My brother David's had five hand surgeries, and I've got it growing here in my hands. It's a family congenital thing. But I, I tell the story, and I'll be brief, of stealing when I was young. And when my dad took me in the bedroom where the spankings were meted out, it was an amazing thing when I was expecting the condemnation of a spanking, the, the deserved penalty It was a stroke of genius on his part to show a seven-year-old boy 
how scarred up his hands were and describe how dangerous his job was. And then he says, so I should quit my job because you're going to be a thief anyway. I'm a depression boy, son. I lived on salt and bread with your mother. I gave your sister and brother Paul an orange for, Christian, for Christmas. I burnt tires for fuel in the snow country of Kansas. Your daddy is considered white trash oaky material that landed in the state to pick cotton and pulled your brother David on a cotton sack in the San Joaquin Valley. And we lived under trees. There's no Mexican in the field today that's doing any more hard work and treated sometimes any worse than these Okies that were starving. He said, this is your roots. But I said, my kids won't have to beg for food and my kids won't have to beg for candy because I'll risk my life every day. And what you hear is, when you steal, remember, you're my boy. The next time you steal, remember my hands. The next time you want to bring disgrace to the family, remember your old daddy. I'm trying to raise you to act like a son. And the life in the spirit, I don't need a law. I've got a father. And I've got a son, the son. And I've got the spirit. How in the world can I enjoy anything that's not like what a son ought to do? You need a law? Get one. Go out and get a hundred of them. You'll break them all. I've got nail-scarred hands that direct me. I look at him. Can you do it? Do anything Jesus can say, it's okay. It's a life of relationship, not a life of rules. And the Spirit, on my worst day, an old song I learned as a kid, it went like this. I can see far down the mountain where I wasted many years, often hindered in my journey by the ghost of doubt and fear. But the spirit led unerring to the land I hold today. Is not this the land of Beulah? Blessed, blessed land of life, where the flowers bloom forever and there cometh no night. I can see way back the mistakes, the wasted years, the wrong choices. But guess what? The spirit comes to his own and says, you're a son, you're a sheep. You can't get away with it. Get back, get back. Verse 17 says, since we're children, we're heirs, heirs of God, co-heirs with Christ. I'll leave it. I must stop there because we're going to take the Lord's Supper. But I'm going to just ask you today, I wish, I wish, you know how I wish you'd respond to this message? I wish you'd get alone somewhere, uh, Go back to one of our bathrooms if you want. You know, find a place where that you just in God's presence say, Father, if I understand your word today, I'm a son. I've been adopted. I'm an heir. The Spirit's in me to deliver me from every form of sin that uses my body. I just want to thank you. It's so deep, so wide, and so uh, overwhelming. But I don't want to just go out and say, well, that was a good sermon. No, no. 
That's not the response God wants. See, when you say it's a good sermon, that might puff me up. Uh, I hope it was. I'll tell you this much, it was a great truth. See, I'm, I'm not ever here being tested on sermons. We got great truths because we got the Bible. Well, as we come to the close of our time today, here on Truth For Today, we would leave you with our address and phone number in the event you'd like to reach out to us. Maybe you have a question about today's program, a question about your own relationship with Christ. Maybe you'd like to review today's message or any past message here on Truth For Today. Reach out to us at truthfortodayradio.org online or call. The phone number is 855 855- 833-9864. That's 855-833-9864. Now, one other thought to consider as we conclude our time together today, we know that the challenging times we live in make for rather challenging growth opportunities in Christ. And if this broadcast is helping you in your walk and relationship with Christ, would you consider partnering with us financially and prayerfully? Again, these are very challenging times since ministries all over the world are actually suffering and they are being challenged as to how to continue ministering the gospel of Christ. And truth for today is no different. If you consider this broadcast a blessing to you, would you consider being a blessing to us? 100% of your donation is tax deductible and it goes right back into the radio ministry, whether it's a one-time gift, a monthly gift, small or large, it all makes a huge difference. And your prayers and requests to the Lord about the continuation of Truth For Today are even more appreciated. Reach out to us at truthfortodayradio.org or, again, call 855-833-9864. Or you can write out a check and address your envelope to 1511 M. Sycamore Avenue, Suite 278, Hercules, California. The zip code is 94547. Thank you for joining us today. Until next time, may Christ be your truth for today. Today.